Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Jesus is Lord, amen. Hallelujah, I'm thankful for that. You know, I was thinking just yesterday about, oh man, the, the horrors of the reality of an eternity being separated from God, hell. What sinners often fail to understand is the good graces of God that they experience every day even though they don't believe or follow in Jesus as King. In, in eternity, of the lake of fire is a separation from all of those good graces. There is no sun that shines and warms the face on a cold day. There is no cool of wind that blows and refreshes the body in a moment of weariness. The good graces of God, the ability to lift your hand, go to work, breathe. Man, I tell you what, when I think about that as a follower of Jesus... How much more do we have to in everything? Come give thanks. Because in the kingdom of God, we can have grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. And as we continue to receive God's grace and the influence of His Spirit in our life, may we continually give back to Him praise and thanksgiving. Well, with that being said, it's great to be back in the pulpit and to kick off this brand new series regarding questions. We ask, He answers. And uh, with that being said, I want to read one founding scripture today up front. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 8, verse 4. says, Then His disciples, His being Jesus' disciples, Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? What a loaded, powerful question. How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? I want to teach a message today titled, God in Christ is the How. God in Christ is the how. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for access to your throne of grace through the only way, the person of Jesus. And Lord, through our relational trust in Him as Lord and King is the way and the life and the truth, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal Him to hearts and minds, that you would make His very presence and His kingdom manifest among us, that you would work wonders in hearts and minds and situations in life. Christ would be manifested and glorified. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. I went through the Gospel of Mark the last several weeks looking at every question that was presented or asked. Did you know that the first question presented to Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of Mark was from a demon? That would get your ears perked up this morning. 
The very first question that was asked to Jesus as recorded in Mark's gospel account was from a demon. And the demon said, What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? Jesus rebuked the demon, said, Be quiet and come out of him. The people who were in the synagogue in the moment that this took place, they responded by saying, What is this? What new doctrine with authority is this? As you continue through the book of Mark, you see that there's a question on Jesus' willingness to heal. I know many have asked that same question that we find in the gospel account. Then you find a question regarding who can forgive sins. Who has the authority, the ability to forgive sins on the earth? A question about fasting. A question about the law of Moses in regards to the Sabbath. A question from his disciples for the interpretation of the parable of the sower. We pick it up in Mark chapter 6 and we find the question that people and the crowd begins to ask. Where did this man get such wisdom? power to perform such mighty works. At the feeding of the 5,000 men and those who were with them, we get a question from the disciples, shall we buy 200 denarii worth of bread to give them something to eat? In Mark 7, we find a question pertaining to the tradition of the Jewish religious elders about the doctrine of baptisms or the teaching regarding washings and defilement. The disciples at the feeding of the 4,000 men and those who were with them, we find the question that is our main text today, how can one satisfy people in the wilderness? We find the question that Peter, James, and John asked right after they come down from the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus, as His inward glory has become visible to them there on the Mount. Visible outwardly as face shines brighter than the noonday sun as they come down after this encounter and this manifestation of the power of Jesus in His kingdom. They ask, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? We find a question that the disciples ask of why they were unable to cast out a demon. The Pharisees, to test and to trap Jesus, ask Him if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife. We find the question about what to do in order to inherit eternal life. The disciples ask the question, well, who then can be saved? The religious leaders ask Jesus who gave him the authority to do what he was doing in the temple. Pharisees and Herodians, in hopes to trap Jesus, ask him about paying taxes. The Sadducees, who didn't even believe in the resurrection, ask a question about the resurrection in hopes to trap Jesus. They ask Jesus, even though they didn't believe in the resurrection, they ask Him about marriage in the resurrection. A scribe, a scholar who was impressed with how Jesus handled the Sadducees' insincere resurrection question asks, what is the first and greatest commandment of all the commandments in the law of Moses? We find the disciples in response to Jesus' prophecy ask Him when the temple stones would be thrown down. The disciples ask Jesus where He wanted to eat the Passover meal. And lastly from Pilate, 
if Jesus was the King of the Jews. As I read and meditated on each of these questions, I perceived them to fall, fall under four summarizing categories. The four summarizing categories are authority, questions regarding authority. Who has it? What is it? Secondly, cultural questions are questions regarding cultural traditions and trends. Thirdly, what I'm calling distinctive questions. Distinctive questions, when you think of them, think of them as subculture questions. So they are questions that deal with trends and traditions, but they're subculture. They're very distinctive. It's like the sect of the trend. And then lastly, number four, transcendent questions. If you're like me, and you're still growing in your English vocabulary and your English ability, let me define transcendent for us up front today. Transcendent questions, transcendent means going beyond ordinary limits, superior or supreme. Going beyond current time and place. Transcendent questions are questions that go beyond just current events or a current place or a current time. Therefore, because they go beyond just current events, they are transcendent or they are supreme. But transcendent questions also, by definition, go beyond ordinary consciousness. Ordinary consciousness. Meaning, it is not our default, it is not our natural tendency to ask transcendent questions. They're questions that go beyond our normal awareness. For example, when you look at these questions in the Gospel of Mark that are recorded, the authority questions we find are the following. What is this? What new doctrine with authority is this? The question regarding who can forgive sins is an authority question. The disciples concerning why they were unable to cast out a demon is an authority question. The religious leaders on who gave Jesus the authority to do what he was doing in the temple, that's when he turned over the tables, when he brought critique at what was happening, when he rebuked them and said, no, the purpose is this is to be a place of prayer, a house of prayer. That's an authority question. When Pilate looked at Jesus and said, are you king of the Jews? That's an authority question. Cultural questions we see throughout the book of Mark and the gospel of Mark are, for instance, the question of why do your disciples not fast like the other schools of disciples? John's disciples, his school of disciples, they're fasting. The Pharisee school of disciples are fasting. But Jesus, your disciples aren't fasting. That's a cultural question. Why do your disciples pluck the heads off the grain, which is not lawful on the Sabbath? That's a cultural question. Questions pertaining to the tradition of the Jewish religious elders about the doctrine of baptisms, washings and defilement and the washings of hands. That's a cultural question. When the Pharisees sought to test and trap him, and they asked if it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife, that was a cultural question question. Because at that time, men were very abusive in the culture. And they were abusive in the way that they were dominant. 
and they for any reason could write off their wife and then just marry a younger girl or a new girl that they wanted. It's a cultural question. The disciples asking why the scribes say that Elijah must come first before the Messiah, that is a cultural question. When the Pharisees and the Herodians in hopes to trap Jesus ask him about paying taxes, that's a cultural question. The disciples in response to Jesus' prophecy asked him when the temple stones would be thrown down. That's cultural. The disciples on where Jesus wanted to eat the Passover meal is a cultural question. The distinctive questions we find in the Gospel of Mark is when the Sadducees asked a hypothetical question about a woman who due to death ended up having to marry an entire lineage of seven brothers. And they ask whose wife she would be at the resurrection. That's a distinctive question. Why? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they were using a question to distinguish themselves from other people. From other people in their day. From even other religious leaders. From other religious groups. It was a distinctive question. When Jesus' disciples were in the house and they asked Him for His interpretation of the parable of the sower, that's a distinctive question question because there was many interpretations of how people received Jesus' teaching on the parable of the sower. But when they asked Jesus, what is your interpretation? That is a distinctive question. When you ask and say, well, dwelling place or the pastoral leadership of dwelling place, how do you understand a certain passage? I come from a denomination or I come from a tradition that believes this and And how do you understand it? That is a distinctive question. The transcendent questions we find in the Gospel of Mark is the question about what to do to inherit eternal life. The disciples on who can be saved and the scribe who was impressed on how Jesus handled the Sadducees' insincere resurrection question asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? of all the law of Moses. Now all of these questions, authority questions, cultural, traditions and trends questions, distinctive and transcendent questions, they are all spiritual in nature. They're all spiritual in nature. Why? Because listen, we are spiritual beings who have a soul and a body. You cannot rightly say that, it, that these questions are not connected to the spiritual. It's not right to say that these questions in some way do not relate to spiritual things. That would not be accurate. Truly, topics of authority, cultural traditions and trends, distinctive and transcendent questions cannot be completely separated from the reality of the spiritual which is what is meant by the word spirituality. Now, though with that being said, all of the questions do not all contain the same amount of spiritual depth. You cannot completely disconnect them from the reality that they pertain to spiritual matters or things. However, all questions do not have the same spiritual depth. 
For instance, eating food is related to the spiritual. You say, why? Because if you don't eat, you will die and your spirit will have to leave your body. Therefore, the question regarding what to eat is in some way connected to the spiritual. It's not deeply spiritual, and yet it's connected to the spiritual. In fact, when you're hungry, if you've been days without eating, or you don't have food, or have food insecurity, that makes thinking about transcendent questions, or more deeper spiritual questions, more difficult. It makes being concerned about something that transcends your momentary starvation and hunger, it makes it less conscious in your heart and mind. And you become more conscious of your stomach that is continually growling. Or your mind that's like a pinball in a pinball machine with thoughts saying, when are you going to feed me? I feel like I'm dying. So all of the questions are connected to the spiritual to spirituality. But not all the questions have the same spiritual depth. It's also interesting when you look through thoroughly the Gospel of Mark and the questions that are presented and asked to Jesus. It's interesting observing how different contexts influenced different questions. For instance, the questions regarding authority all come from contexts where authority matters or authority was on the brain. For instance, authority question took place in, the, in a teaching context of a synagogue. An authority question took place in a home that Jesus was using for outreach. A question regarding authority took place in a home leadership small group that Jesus led. An authority question took place in the temple and at a governmental office. So it's interesting when you look at these categories of questions of how the context influences the questions that people ask. For instance, the questions regarding cultural traditions and trends took place in a season when others were fasting. People came and questioned Jesus why His disciples were not following in suit. A question when Sabbath was being observed stimulated one to ask why his disciples were doing what was unlawful on the Sabbath and plucking the heads of grain. A question regarding cultural traditions and trends happened after Jesus and his disciples were observed for a time in Jerusalem. And as people observed them, they noticed that they weren't doing the common traditions and trends, the cultural tradition. And therefore they asked him a question regarding doctrine of baptisms and the washing of hands. Another time it's when the Pharisees came and asked while he was out teaching on the road. After his transfiguration on the mount by Peter, James and John who were there. They asked a question. When Pharisees and Herodians were sent to catch him in his words. They asked him a cultural hot topic question. Right after being at the temple and looking at its construction, the disciples asked him a cultural question. When will these stones be cast down? And when the yearly holiday of Passover was at hand, a cultural question was asked him. 
The distinctive questions took place when Sadducees were sent to trap him and in a home leadership small group of Jesus's. And then the questions regarding transcendence took place. Watch this. When a man seeking Jesus ran after him intentionally to ask him a question that was burning on his heart. And when the disciples after Jesus' interaction with that man who ran after him, they then asked a transcendent question. Watch this. Very interesting. That a transcendent question prompted those around Jesus and the one who asked the question to also ask transcendent questions. Meaning, transcendent questions can stimulate and spur on others to think about transcendent questions. Meaning, when you have someone who asks questions that have deeper spiritual depth, it can stir on others to begin to become conscious and aware of transcendent questions that they've not been aware of or thinking about. This is very important for you and I as followers of Jesus in the days we live in. This is very important for you and I as followers of Jesus if we want to be effective witnesses. If we want to be salt. If we want to be prepared and to be wise and to be ready to give a defense to manifest Christ to others through conversation and through listening. It's also interesting that after the scribe observed Jesus respond to the Sadducees' insincere question, that the scribe asked him then a transcendent question. Meaning, how Jesus handled himself on hot button topic questions. Questions that were created to trap, to create categories, to box people in. It was how Jesus navigated that question that prompted a scribe to respect him enough to then ask him a transcendent question. So let me summarize. First, the transcendent questions were the least. And that should make us very alarmed and aware today. That the questions that are lasting, the, the questions that go beyond just what is a current trend or a current topic or related to a current circumstance in your life are the least amount of questions being asked by people in the gospel. That means you and I should have an alarm going off saying, wait a minute, are transcendent questions even on my radar? Am I even conscious on, on matters of spirituality that are deeper or greater or more supreme than just what are current trends and matters? So the four summarizing categories of authority, cultural or cultural traditions, distinctive and transcendent. Let me make a couple points regarding this. The context we are in influences our questions. Don't fool yourself. The context that you and I live in, grew up in, or a part in, influence our questions. Why? Because our context influences our attention and our attention span. So if you and I want to be a disciple that's a learner that grows beyond 
just our upbringing or just the context we have experienced, then you and I must experience new things and expose ourselves to new experiences which then leads us to ask new questions. See, the reason why many people stagnate even though we're called to follow Jesus and never ask new questions, never reach questions of a deeper depth of spirituality is that they become comfortable, they become sort of in a sense caged though they don't know they're caged through being comfortable and through convenience and they never expose themselves to new experiences and because they never expose themselves to new experiences they never have new questions arise in their heart and in their mind. I mean I have to guard myself from some context because I'll start watching a documentary or I'll get around something new and I'll start wanting to know how all that works questions I never asked before arise because I exposed myself to a, to a new field or, or to, you know, a, a new area of knowledge. And I say, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm probably never going to make watches. So I don't need to know how all of those mechanics work. But the point is, is context we are in influence our questions. And if you and I want to grow, if we want to experience new questions, expose and seek out new experiences. One thing I'm grateful for, for the current leadership here at Dwelling Place Woodstock, is that we have leaders that through God's grace and preparation have been exposed to numerous different contexts. There, it's not spiritual leadership that, have, that lives out now and believes now what they've always grown up believing. That, that are a part of necessarily the denomination they grew up in uh, or when they got saved was first apart. You're, you have spiritual leadership that God has exposed to numerous contexts and therefore it has led them to ask numerous questions. And that's why I'm so grateful for what God's doing here at Dwelling Place because truly when it comes to sermon series, when it comes to questions we ask, questions we present, there is a variety compared to some other context where you have spiritual leaders that have not been exposed to different contexts and therefore don't ask a wide variety of questions and there's a lot of narrow-mindedness. There's a lot of just unknown. There's a lot of you know not thinking about certain questions and certain realities. Number six point I want to stand out to us today is there are questions when you look through the questions that the Gospel of Mark records and you observe and, and meditate on, you find out there are questions we have that we are aware of and there are questions we have that we are unaware of. Did you know that there are questions that you have that you're aware of. When we go into this series, you're, you're maybe praying and thinking, well, I hope they bring up this question. You're aware of that question. But did you know there's also questions that you have that you're not aware of? And as a pastor, as your pastor, I'm concerned not just about the questions you are currently asking in life, but I'm also concerned about the questions you are asking but you're unaware of. 
Questions that have been driving you from childhood. Questions that have been driving your work and your performance and and your focus. Questions that have been driving you, though you're unaware they're driving you. Questions like, why do I exist? Questions like, am I lovable? Questions like, do I have worth? Questions like, I need so-and-so's approval to feel good about myself. Questions about, what is my purpose in life? Questions like, am I good enough? Questions like, can I change? Questions like, can my future be different than my past? Questions like, God, do you see me? As your pastor, I'm concerned not just with questions that you're aware of on the surface, but questions that you're unaware of that though might be driving you. Even at a subconscious level. In your pursuit, in your activity, and affecting your emotions. So there are questions that we have that we're aware of and there are questions we have that we are unaware of. Next, there are also questions we are aware of but are afraid to ask. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 32, you find the text explaining something that transpires between Jesus and His disciples. And it says, but they did not understand this saying and and were afraid to ask Him. Notice it's the disciples who were afraid to ask Jesus something. And what's interesting, when you think about the questions they had but were afraid to ask, it was related to an area that would crush their dreams and their expectations of what they wanted to get out of following Jesus. Oftentimes, we're afraid to ask Jesus about things because we don't want the exposure that maybe we want Jesus to fulfill our needs and wants instead of that we're actually willing to take up the cross and let Him lead us wherever Thou desireth. But I want to encourage you and I that the Jesus, that Jesus who is King, that lovingly drew you to Himself through the proclamation of His gospel, that hung between heaven and earth to purchase and redeem you from the power of sin and the grip of bondages and the enslavery of Satan and the kingdom of fear. That Jesus is able through His Holy Spirit to provide comfort to you. To lead you through the process to ask some questions that maybe right now you're afraid of what the answer would be. Jesus, I have always thought that you would do this for me in my life. Or Jesus, I always thought if I followed you it would lead to this. We need not be afraid that Jesus is able as a perfect big brother, as a perfect king, as a righteous king to lead and shepherd us compassionately, empathetically and at a pace we're willing to follow Him through questions we might be afraid to ask right now. Next, number eight, questions can reveal our spiritual depth 
in a current moment. The questions that I'm asking in this moment of my life reveal the current spiritual depth that I'm engaging in. I have found that when I walk in the flesh, I still ask questions. They're just questions that don't have great significant spiritual depth. But if I'm in the moment walking in the Spirit, I'm living with the reality that I have access to God's throne of grace and I'm in His kingdom. And I'm depending and trusting and the availability and the sufficiency and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Then the questions I ask in moments like that have greater spiritual depth. That when I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... I'm in a place where normally I ask questions that have greater spiritual depth. But when I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God, I find myself asking questions and seeking just what the Gentiles and unbelievers are doing. What will I wear? What will I eat? Questions that after I answer them are answered until I get hungry again and thirsty again. A main thing I want to emphasize today is questions reveal how far or close we are from entering the kingdom of God. This scribe who was impressed with how Jesus handled the Sadducees' insincere resurrection question, a question regarding something they didn't even believe in, he was so impressed that then he asked, what is the first commandment of all the commandments? And Jesus looked at him and he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying? He's saying questions reveal how close we are or how far we are from entering the kingdom. Now you might be thinking today, Pastor Chad, this is good, this is okay, but it doesn't apply to me. Because I've entered the kingdom of God through trusting in Jesus and His finished work. Right, you have entered the kingdom of God. But is the kingdom of God continuing to enter you? See, our questions determine how close or how far we are of allowing the kingdom of God to keep entering into us. What does this mean? Entering into our soul. See, Scripture teaches the kingdom of God is more than a place. It's more than a position. It's also an experience. It's a way of life. It's an experience of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the questions you and I ask determine how close or how far we are to experiencing or allowing the kingdom of God to come and to fill our soul with His righteousness, His peace, and His joy in the Holy Spirit. Something very striking to me is that it was how Jesus navigated and handled a loaded question from people wanting to prove their subculture views, that there was no resurrection, that became a bridge for this scribe to respect Jesus enough and to ask Him a transcendent question. 
observe that this man was not far from the kingdom of God because he wasn't snared by the potential traps of authority and governmental questions. This man was not far from the kingdom of God because he was not trapped by cultural distinctive questions. Therefore, he was able to be mindful of transcendent questions. He was able to be mindful of bigger questions and the questions that endure generation after generation. Questions that endure new cycle after new cycle. Questions that endure election after election cycle. Questions that endure president after president. Questions that endure trend after trend and tradition after tradition. Let me just preach here for a moment. We have believers that are heeding not the words of Jesus and are being trapped in cultural questions and questions that are just related to the moment and is robbing them from the awareness of transcendent questions that new cycle after new cycle will still persist. How can one be saved? Is there still one that can satisfy a weary soul in a wilderness season out here? Is there one who has the authority to forgive sins and may we be a people that don't get trapped by distinctive questions and cultural trends and questions that we lose the awareness of transcendent questions that our sons and our granddaughters and granddaughters and then their sons and granddaughters will continue to ask. It's great if we can answer questions that have hot button topics for the now but those ain't the things that's going to establish the molding of the foundations for many generations of seeing a generations of Jesus followers be raised and to see the pattern of living and following Jesus handed down generation after generation. And it was Jesus. It was His wisdom in navigating the hot, button, topic, trendy questions that caused this man to respect Jesus enough to ask a transcendent question. What is the greatest commandment? If I have to boil down what my priority, what my focus is to be, there's so many options. What is it, Jesus? May we be a people like Jesus our King, that we navigate trends and cultural trends and governmental and authority questions with such wisdom of God's Spirit that it opens up people around us to respect us enough to ask us bigger questions that endure. Like, who can forgive my sins? Can I change? Is there a God? What is my purpose? Can I be born again? What must I do? to be saved. And see, the kingdom of God is an experience. And when we ask deeper spiritual questions, the kingdom of God can continually be brought near into our soul. We can experience more of His righteousness and His peace and His joy. And then it can lead to a manifestation towards those around us. A manifestation of Christ's peace and Christ's joy. This leads me to the words of Jesus in Mark 8 and 15. Then he charged them, them being the disciples. This isn't the crowd, this isn't the distant seeker, this isn't the skeptic, this isn't the... 
Samaritan, this is the disciples. Then he charged them saying, take heed, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Notice what he said. He tells his disciples. Are we his disciples today? He tells his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Why? Because their subtle influence, if not watchful, if not wise, will keep growing in your life and you will get further and further from growing in the kingdom of God and growing and experiencing the peace and the joy of God's kingdom. And from being mindful of asking the transcendent questions of deeper spirituality. Jesus says, take heed. Beware of the seducing, negative, possible influence of authority questions, cultural questions, hot-button topics, and distinctive questioning. Least it grow in your life, pushing you and I further away from the kingdom of God's experience. It's no coincidence that the majority of questions we looked at in the Gospel of Mark were related to the two areas Jesus warned to be aware of. Because, listen, they're the questions we normally ask. Why? Because they're constantly put before our awareness. They're immediate questions. We look around at culture, we look around at trends, we look around at circumstances, and because we see it, we are the context influences our questions. We constantly ask those questions. But Jesus warns, if you don't depend on Him to navigate through those questions wisely, you will get trapped. And like leaven, it will start influencing your whole life and it will push you away from experiencing the kingdom of God, His peace and His joy. And I believe with all my heart that the distinctness of God's people who are following Jesus in this hour is going to be a distinctness of having His peace and His joy in the midst of darkness and a multitude of questions and a multitude of sorrows. And Jesus warns us. He warns us of its leaven. It, it starts off with just a little questioning. Before long, you might find yourself deconstructing the very thing that Jesus is building. It's like Jesus saying, you better take heed to who you are deconstructing and how you are deconstructing. At least you destroy your own temple and life and you tear down the kingdom of God and what He's building. I don't know about deconstructing everything. What I know that the apostles and prophets in Scripture knew about was transformation and formation. I might not know a lot about deconstruction, but I know about the biblical plan of God for us to be transformed and to have Christ formed in us. To have our mind renewed according to God's Word. To have our soul experience the exchange of our old residue in life for His beautiful life. I know about Christ's formation. I know about the tearing down of strongholds and the lies of the enemy and generational sins that want to influence me to continue to go away from God's will. 
But Jesus warns the leaven of the Pharisees, always asking authority questions and and governmental questions, the leaven of Herod. See, number 10, we as humans are vulnerable to prioritize the temporary over the transcendent, the immediate over the eternal. You and I do to, to sins affect and influence on our life and the world we live in. We are vulnerable to prioritize the temporary over the transcendent, the immediate over the eternal. eternal. But listen to me. Those who grow to navigate the authority questions and the cultural traditions and trends questions wisely will always be those closest to the kingdom of God. They will be those closest to walking in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and the joy of the Holy Spirit that is unspeakable and full of glory. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a person that follows Jesus like that. And lastly, number 12... The fruit that such followers of Jesus are wise and truly have the correct answers is the manifestation of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Listen, listen, listen. Sometimes the fruit of having the right answer about governmental questions or cultural trends and traditions or distinctive questions, sometimes the fruit of having the right answer to those questions is not by what we say, but by what we manifest. Because the answer is not always in being able to say the answer. Sometimes the answer is being able to still manifest the kingdom of God, His peace and His joy. Come on, Ben. The last thing I want to emphasize is this week it just sort of burned in my heart like a SpaceX rocket. As I was going through the questions, I perceived that there's this one question is a great representation of a question that is equally a matter of authority, cultural traditions and trends, and transcendent. It's like a question where all of these questions that we ask, people ask, converge. And it's the disciples at the feeding of the multitude. And the disciples asked Jesus, how can one satisfy people in the wilderness? And notice it's the disciples who ask it. See, I don't expect necessarily those that are part of the crowd, those that are part of the multitude, those that ain't necessarily born again, or those that are maybe babes in Christ, but they're no longer following or pursuing Jesus. I don't expect them to ask it. But I do believe there's some disciples here today, and this is what you have been asking. You have been asking Jesus the King, looking at the complexity of questions, the complexity of culture, the complexity of governmental authority and questions, and you're looking at all of these things. You say, Jesus, how can one? How can we, your people, satisfy other people in the wilderness? 
with so many individual needs, with so many multitude of different questions, from so many different contexts and backgrounds, and all of a melting pot coming together. And yet we're your disciples, Jesus. We want to see you manifested. We want people to know your kingdom. We want people to know the beauty of your reign. Resurrection out of the surrender to death to our own will and our old way. But Jesus, how? How can one satisfy people in the wilderness? See, this question was a question that did pertain to physical needs. How could physical food and need be provided in the wilderness for this multitude? It was also a question on who has the authority and ability to get the resources. Who's got the ability, who's got the influence, who's got the money to be able to get the resources to feed the people? It's also culturally loaded. Don't miss it. Because when God began a new work to form not just a person, but a corporate people, a nation. He leads the Jews, the descendants of Israel out of Egypt with mighty signs and wonders in His outstretched hand. But after they come out of Egypt, He leads them into the wilderness. And as they're out there and they begin to experience thirst and hunger and a, deep, a different circumstance than what they were used to in Egypt. They begin to murmur against God. And they begin to ask, Can God, can you prepare a table in the wilderness? Are you able to sustain us, your people, in a wilderness, in a dry place, in a place that's not exciting, in a place that we don't necessarily fit in? Are you able to... To sustain, are you able to continually satisfy? Because God sent manna and He sent meat. But it wasn't long later they were complaining again. And the question, the cultural question, the nation of Israel and God's old covenant people kept asking, is God, can you continually satisfy us? On this journey... Not just when you satisfied me that time where I came to the altar and I surrendered and repented and confessed Jesus as Lord and you took the weight of my sin and guilt and passed off of me and you gave me a relationship with you. Not just can you satisfy me then. Can you satisfy me at every step of every season as I follow you, Jesus, my King? Can you satisfy one? You satisfy one in the discomfort, in the uncomfortable place, the stretching place, on the long journey and trek in life. God, can you satisfy people in the wilderness? And I want us to be renewed dwelling place today. That when we look around Cherokee County and we look around surrounding counties and we think of all the questions and the needs, from physical to emotional, transcendent questions and needs and we see the division and we see the hot trends and topics and questions that are pressing and culture trying 
to focus on things that are temporary and we feel overwhelmed. That we realize we're like the disciples that day. We look to Jesus and say, how? How can we satisfy people in this wilderness? As the end of the ages get thrust upon us, as perilous times happen, as Scripture forewarns, how can we satisfy people in a time of shaking and a time of wilderness? And the answer is the same way God satisfied on that day the question was asked is the same way God is still answering and will satisfy people today. It's God in Christ satisfy the people it's the one who transcends all nations all years all seasons it's him who's the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end it's him that from the very beginning is the bread of heaven sent to the earth it's him that can thirst every quench and satisfy every longing soul it is him who the nations long for it is Jesus our king and if we'll look to him we'll let him do what he did that day to bless us with His presence of His kingdom, His peace and His joy, and then break us. We'll see groups who start sitting around us and the miracle of multiplication will take place. And we say, oh my goodness, we thought we could only reach 10 people. Oh my goodness, we thought we could only feed 15 people. And we'll see, oh no, all things are possible to him that believe. And we'll see a God of multiplication begin to satisfy people in their wilderness. To satisfy people to the core of what's actually driving them. Deeper questions that's actually driving their divisiveness, their, their focus on trends and topics and other things how can one satisfy people in the wilderness God in Christ is how Christ is still the way Christ is still the methodology of God Christ is still the power of God unto salvation and may we not in all of our searching and looking look to the foolishness of the world and to the ways of Greek and the ways of religion but may we look to the beauty of Christ through Him crucified and raised from the dead He's able to satisfy people in a wilderness can I hear an amen thank you so much for listening to this week's message if you would like more information about our church be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.